Hey there, and welcome to the Life of a Cheerleading Coach. I'm your host, Marley Sievers. With four years of high school coaching experience, six years of experience as an instructor and choreographer for the National Cheerleaders Association, and over a decade in the cheerleading industry, join me as we navigate through the world of high school coaching together. Here we go. This episode is brought to you by the Cheer Coach Planner. Are you ready to replace your bulky coach binder? If so, then you should check out the Cheer Coach Planner. Designed specifically for cheerleading coaches, the Cheer Coach Planner helps you to simplify the administrative side of coaching through the use of planning and organization. Inside, you'll find over 250 pages, including 12 undated monthly calendars, daily life and practice planners, a team section full of forms to help you keep track of everything specific to your team, like rosters, absences, and athlete profiles, and a season section full of forms to help you keep track of everything related to your season, like tryouts, fundraising, game days, pep rallies, and competitions. With a physical planner, digital planner options, and new planners for your captains, you're bound to find an option that works for you. Check them out at cheercoachplanner.com or visit the link in my show notes. The Cheer Coach Planner, your season, your plan. Welcome back to another episode. Today we're going to be talking about the power of a positive team. This is a book written by John Gordon. I had mentioned him a few times in several other episodes, but he is one of my favorite authors, and I actually listen to a lot of his books on audio. But when you guys go throughout a season, there's always going to be hardship. This year I did have some hardship pretty early on, and I decided to reach out to John over Instagram. So I messaged him and said, hey, my team is going through something right now. Our theme for the year is resilience. Do you have any team building activities or ideas that I can use to help instill this in my athletes further? And his response was to read The Power of a Positive Team. And I was just grateful that he even responded in the first place, but he said that the word trust keeps coming to him and to focus on the word trust. So I said, thank you so much. I decided to order a few copies of The Power of a Positive Team and I picked out my leadership group and said, hey, we're all going to read a chapter and you're going to present it to the team. What I should have done is had my whole team split up into groups for the chapters and then they all present and work on these. Hindsight's 2020, so maybe next year we'll do that. But this season I had everybody in my leadership group read the book and present the chapters. I don't want to give too much away in the book because you should definitely read it for yourself, but I will give away some of my favorite parts of it and some key takeaways that I learned as well as the ones that my athletes shared with our team. The first chapter talks about the power of positive, and Gordon essentially says in the chapter that positive teams are more equipped to handle adversity when challenges arise. He shares several studies in this chapter and talks about how the more you energize people in your workplace, the higher your work performance. Often people think that you have to choose between being positive and winning 
but positivity leads to winning. He says that positivity is more than a state of mind. It's a power that gives a team a competitive advantage in business, sports, creativity, and life. Positive teams don't happen by accident. They happen when team members invest their time and energy to create a positive culture, work toward a shared vision with a greater purpose, work together with optimism, and believe and overcome the negativity that too often sabotages teams and organizations. I feel like as a coach, you have a distinct difference in seasons when you go from a team with a positive mindset and a team with a negative mindset. Often, I feel when a team has a negative mindset, the season doesn't go as well as it could have. And teams with positive mindsets, even if the season doesn't go well, it's still a great season because everybody had such a positive mindset about it. In the next chapter, he talks about how positive teams create positive cultures. He says that culture isn't just one thing, it's everything. Culture drives expectations and beliefs. Expectations and beliefs drive behaviors. Behaviors drive habits and habits create the future. One thing I've been trying to do to help build a positive culture in my team is to make sure that everybody believes that they can achieve hard goals that they set for themselves. Every month we've been doing goal tracking and setting personal goals as well as athletic goals. And I make sure that my athletes don't say the word can't. It shouldn't be in their vocabulary. So having a belief mindset and a positive mindset is something that is huge for my program. If I do hear negative things being said, I talk to my athletes about them and I make sure that we're all on the same page. Gordon says that you should create a culture that energizes and encourages each other, fosters connected relationships and great teamwork, empowers and enables your team to learn and grow, and provides an opportunity for you to do your best work. I think that teaching your team to embrace failure also helps them to learn that growth and progress and success are achievable. And just growing from the point that you began is the ultimate goal in any season. I think that The best part of coaching is honestly looking back at the end of the year and seeing how far your athletes have come, how much they've changed, how much they've progressed in their physical abilities, as well as their mindsets and their character. He says that you are contagious. The energy that you put into your team and your culture determines the quality of it. And I couldn't agree more because with the power of positivity, positivity is contagious. You can radiate positivity and it will ultimately affect your athletes and your team and your culture. If you're coming into practice with a negative mindset every single day, it's going to rub off on your athletes and they're going to have the same mindset as well. In the next chapter, he says that positive teams work together toward a shared vision with a greater purpose. He says it's important to make time to create your vision and mission statement together and then make even more time to live it. He says what matters is that you have a team with a vision that's on a mission. As a team, you're going to want to carry around a metaphorical telescope and microscope with you. He says that the telescope helps you and your team keep your eyes on the vision and remind you of the big picture and your greater purpose, while the microscope helps you zoom in and focus on the things that you have to do in the short term to realize the vision in your telescope. One way in which we've done this is at the beginning of the season, we sat down and wrote all of our team goals together and put them up on a TV for everybody to see. And that is our mission. So the goals that were up there together are a part of our bigger plan and our greater purpose. And every month our athletes set goals for themselves to achieve that bigger purpose. So every month we're checking off, here is our small task that we have to do in order to 
achieve the goal that we set out for ourselves. I think it would be ideal to keep your team's goals and your vision somewhere they can see it all the time. This is something that I would like to improve upon. That way you can use that telescope to see where you're supposed to be going and guide you in the direction in which you want to take your team. He says that in addition to keeping your vision and purpose alive, you want to make your vision and purpose come alive. This means that each person on your team lives the vision and the mission, and they see it with their own eyes and are inspired from their own heart. For the vision and purpose to come alive, it must have meaning for each team member. He says that one of the most powerful ways he's found to help teams live their vision and mission is through one word. Each year, each member of the team picks a word that will inspire them to live with more meaning and mission, passion, and purpose for that year. So he's saying that each individual member has a word for themselves to help drive them forward. For our collective team, our word is resilience because that is the theme for the year. But each individual member needs to have a word that drives them forward and pushes them to keep working towards the mission. The next chapter, he talks about how positive teams work together with optimism, positivity, and belief. John has found that great teams are not only positive in the beginning, but throughout the entire season. They stay positive together through all of the adversity, challenges, setbacks, and issues. Positive teams encourage each other, and they feed the positive dog. And we've talked about feeding the positive dog before, but in his other book, The Positive Dog, it explains that everybody has two dogs inside of us. We have a negative dog and a positive dog, and they fight all the time, but the one who wins the fight is the one that you feed the most, so you should be feeding the positive dog. He says that to feed your positive dog, you should be talking to yourself and giving yourself affirmations and believing in yourself and encouraging yourself as well. Another thing he says in this chapter is to replace have to with get to, and we've talked about this before. I have literally used this in my everyday life to turn what is perceived as negative into something positive. When I have to communicate with somebody, if I have to have a meeting, I get to have this meeting. I get to talk to this individual about things that they can improve. I get to do this task at home, not have to, because then it seems like less of an opportunity to work on those things. It seems like it's being forced upon you versus something that you get to do and something that you enjoy doing. Even if you don't actually enjoy doing those things, replacing the vocabulary will shift your mindset to believing that it's something that's a positive opportunity for yourself. In this chapter, he also talks about fear or faith and how ultimately being a positive team is all about working with faith in a world filled with cynicism, negativity, and fear. The ultimate battle that we face every day is the battle between faith and fear. He says that as a team, you must realize that your members are facing this battle every day. They're filled with fear, doubt, and uncertainty, and it's your job to inspire them with faith. He says that fear believes in a negative future and faith believes in a positive future. If neither has happened yet, why wouldn't we choose to believe in a positive future? This, I feel like, has a lot to do with manifestation and just speaking what you want into existence. Often I will talk about our future like it's already happened and say things like, we're going to take state this year, even if it hasn't happened yet. Having that belief encourages my athletes to continue to pursue that goal and that vision. I don't feel like it's very motivating for a team to say things like, this team is going to beat us at the next competition. Because speaking that into existence will actually come to fruition. If you believe it enough, if you say it enough, it'll actually come true. 
In the next chapter, he talks about how positive teams transform and remove negativity. John has talked a lot about having energy vampires and how they shouldn't be allowed on your bus. Basically, energy vampires are people that suck the energy out of you and your team. We've all had this experience where somebody will say something negative and it just brings the whole team down. He says that it starts at the culture level and the best way to address the problem of negativity on a team is where you set the expectation that people who drain the energy of others will not be tolerated. Talk to your athletes about the detrimental impact of negativity and explain that one person can't make a team, but one person can break a team. Now the goal is to have anybody with a negative mindset that is an energy vampire is to have them transform or change their mindset and attitude. But unfortunately, if transforming the negativity doesn't work, you have to remove the negativity from the team in order to better the team as a whole. John says that the best way to create a positive team environment and transform a toxic team culture is to implement the no complaining rule. The no complaining rule basically says that you are not allowed to complain unless you have a solution to your complaint. And this gets rid of a lot of mindless, toxic complaining and empowers you and your team to create solutions instead of focusing on problems. And I think that this is ultimately helpful, not just in a team aspect, but in daily life. If you feel like you struggle with negativity or you feel like you have been down lately, it's probably because you have been complaining about a lot of things in your life. And I'm guilty of this. I find that At times I will complain to people about things that are going on and then they don't want to listen to me anymore and I wonder why. It's because I don't have solutions to the things that I'm complaining about and I'm just mindlessly complaining. And people don't want to be around somebody that complains all the time. They don't want to listen to it and they don't want it to bring their energy down. So just don't complain. I know that's easier said than done and it takes a lot of mental training to catch yourself when you are starting to speak about those things. But in the long run, it'll be better for your mindset as well as the people around you. In the next chapter, it talks about positive teams communicating and connecting. John says that connection is the difference between good and great. The connection you have with your team members creates a trust and a bond that allows you to be yourself and speak openly without worrying about being ridiculed. When team members are connected, have trust, feel emotionally safe, and feel like their ideas are being heard, they're able to do their best and most creative work. In this chapter, he talks about a few different team building exercises that he's experienced throughout meeting different teams and coaches and cultures. And a lot of them I haven't tried yet, but I really want to implement them one day out of practice and just see how our athletes respond to it because they are great for building communication and connection with teammates. One of the activities that he talks about is the safe seat. He says that Dabo Sweeney, the head coach of Clemson University football, told him about a stool that his friend brought him and the guys would sit on these stools in a circle and talk about life, family, fishing, and whatever they wanted to talk about. And it gave the coach an idea and he called it the safe seat. So he placed the stool in a team meeting room and after each practice, a different teammate sat in the safe seat while the team gathered around in a circle. He then asked the teammate questions about his life, family, a defining moment, and when the coach finished asking the questions, the rest of the team was free to ask questions. The stool was called the safe seat because it was a safe place 
for each person to share his story and heart with his team. It was a safe place to be vulnerable, knowing that whatever was shared while sitting on the stool would not leave the room. It was a safe spot in a safe room. Each teammate took their turn on the safe seat and the players began to know each other a whole lot better. This is one that I want to incorporate because I feel like it would not only allow our athletes to learn more about each other, but it would provide them with a safe place to discuss anything that they feel like Maybe they can't share with people outside of our team. Maybe they feel like they just need somebody to confide in. And I want our athletes to feel like they can trust anybody on the mat. The next chapter is about how positive teams commit and care. And I thought there were a lot of good anecdotes in this chapter. So here are a few of them. He says that we live in the universe. Universe means one song. We are living in the one song. We are instruments that create the symphony of life. Harmony results when all people play their own notes to create a beautiful sound together. He says a team works the same way. When each person plays their note and commits to the team, they're able to create great music together. In this chapter, he also talks a lot about we before me and how when we comes before me, you become the person and team that you're meant to be. He says he saw the concept of we before me embodied in the Los Angeles Rams when he met their new head coach, Sean McVay, a month before the start of training camp. And this was prior to them winning the Super Bowl. But he says at their practice facility, you'll see we, not me, painted on the walls. But more importantly, you'll see it lived on the practice field, in the locker room, and in the stadium on game day. He also talks about how committing makes everybody better. And what he loves most about commitment is that through your actions, you not only make your team better, but you also get better in the process. When you focus on helping others improve, you improve. When you lose your ego in the service of others, you find greatness within you. Great teammates serve their team members and great teams commit to serve each other. He also says that great teams don't have people who serve themselves. They have people who serve the team and each other. They have people who are willing to sacrifice themselves and what they want for the good of the team. When you are in acts of service and you are helping others grow and develop, you in turn will grow as well. At the end of the day, communicating, connecting, committing, and becoming a great team won't happen unless you care. After all, if you don't care, you won't make the time to communicate, encourage, connect, commit, serve, or sacrifice. Great teams care about their team. They care about the work that they do. They care about communicating and connecting with one another. They care about each other. They commit to one another. They care about their performance. They care about what they're producing as a team. Because they care, they do more, give more, encourage more, help more, mentor more, develop more, build more, and ultimately accomplish more. To be a great team, you must care about your team and the work that you're doing together. If you care, you'll make time to communicate. You'll put in the effort to connect, you'll sacrifice to commit, you'll go above and beyond for each other, and you'll often accomplish more together. It's also important to know that you can't fake it. Your team knows if you care or not, and you can't hide it or fake it. You can't decide to care because your athletic director says you need to. You can't decide to care because your assistant coach says you need to. Caring about your athletes and your team comes from the heart. The next chapter talks about how positive teams are always striving to get better. He talks about his 1% rule. It's a simple rule that he shares with teams to help create excellence. The rule says to give 1% more time, energy, effort, focus, and care today than you gave yesterday. 
I think, again, that this is something that you can take into your daily life as well as with your athletes. I know I've said this on several occasions, but I believe our ultimate purpose in life is to be better than we were before, to continue to grow and develop, to continue to pursue great things and be the best versions of ourselves. If you are giving 1% more today than you gave yesterday, that equates to a whole 365% by the end of the year. And you have grown so much in that time frame. It's funny to me how growth can feel so slow at times. And it's kind of funny. There's a trend happening on Reels and TikTok right now where it's like somebody's complaining about how they don't have enough clients booked for their weekend. And then it flashes back to a picture of them from five years ago. And it's like, wait, we own our own business. Growth is slow. And if you do commit to giving 1% each and every day, you're going to be miles from where you started. He talks about how positive teams in their quest for growth and excellence have positive discontent. This means that whether they succeed or fail, they're always looking to get better. Even if they win the account or meet their deadline or win an award or the big game, great teams ask, what can we do better? How can we improve? They're never satisfied because they know improvement is always possible. They also have a healthy perspective when they fail, lose, or experience a rejection. They don't get discouraged, they get better. One way that my coach instilled this in me when I was an athlete was every time we had a competition, we would come back on the next Monday and watch a film of our performance. And I know that football players do this stuff too, like you watch a video of your performance and talk about areas in which you can improve, like what went wrong, what are things we did well, how can we get better, and make it better for the next time. And that's something that I want to continue to do with my athletes this season as well. The last chapter talks about how we are better together. When we're a part of a great team, we find a collective greatness that we won't find on our own. At the very end, it talks about how there's a difference between being a team and being a real team. Being on a team doesn't make you a team and being a real team is what makes a group of people into a team. He says to consider the following. People who are just on a team focus on their own goals. People who are a part of a real team focus on their team goals first and their individual goals second. Individuals just on a team are committed to getting better and improving themselves. Individuals who are part of a real team are not only committed to self-improvement, they are also committed to making each other and the team better. People just on a team think about how the team can serve their desires, and people who are on a real team desire to serve the team. When people are just on a team, communication isn't a priority. When people are on a real team, communication is essential to build trust, commitment, and teamwork. On a team, each individual's time is more important than the team. A real team member makes time with the team a priority. On a team, there's a lack of leadership. On a real team, there are strong leaders who develop other leaders. He also has 11 thoughts about teamwork at the end. I'm just going to read a couple of them. One of them is three things you control every day are your attitude, your effort, and your actions to be a great teammate. It doesn't matter what's happening around you and who you think is being unfair. Every day you can focus on being positive, working hard, and making others around you better. If you do that, great things will happen. 
Great team members hold each other accountable to the high standards and excellence their culture expects and demands. You and your team face a fork in the road each day. You can settle for average and choose the path of mediocrity, or you can take the road less traveled and chase greatness. It's a choice you make each day. Which path will your team take? Now, as I said at the start, I decided to divvy this up into several chapters, and I gave each member of our leadership, as well as the coaching staff, a chapter to read and present to the team, but I absolutely next season want to split the team up into several different groups so that they all can read and develop the same message and then they can present their chapter to the team. And what I shared with you today is just some of the main takeaways that I got from the book, but that barely scratches the surface on the wealth of knowledge and information that John Gordon has in this book. He has several other books that I've read that I feel are super beneficial for creating a positive mindset, creating a good team culture. The Energy Bus, for example, is one that I've read. The Power of Positive Leadership is another one. But I highly recommend that you read this book for yourself or listen to it on Audible. That's how I do a lot of my listening and learning, but definitely go check it out and share what you learn with your athletes and share what you learn with your captains and your coaching staff, because it is going to help you not only create a positive team culture this season, but hopefully continue to carry that tradition on for many years. I'll go ahead and link the book in the show notes so you guys can check it out for yourselves. And I'd just like to once again thank John for responding, reaching out, and helping me help my team get through this adversity. If you've read this book, please go share what your thoughts were, what some of your main takeaways were, your favorite parts of it over at The Cheer Closet. I will link that in the show notes as well. And once again, thanks for listening and go make a difference. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Life of a Cheerleading Coach. To be notified when another episode is posted, visit the link in the show notes to sign up for my newsletter. Don't forget to follow the Life of a Cheerleading Coach on Instagram and Facebook, and be sure to click the listener support button on my anchor page. Thanks again for listening, and go make a difference.